Showtime. Welcome to the Empower You Radio Show. I just want to help. Where we empower you through education. You will believe in yourself. Eric Gann exposes you to the evidence-based truth with balanced clinical practice behind all things leadership, mindset, health, nutrition, and the healthcare profession of athletic training. Today is about the power of you. Here's your host, Eric Gann. Hey everyone, thank you for listening and welcome back to the show. Today, I'm going to work through my own story. My own story, working through professionally to personally and injury recovery. When I look back and reflect on my story, I turned 42 last month on April 25th. And every year I sit down and kind of reflect on where I've been, where I've going, and where I want to end up. And when I reflect back on my 42 years, it's interesting to see how all of the professional, personal, and injury all have a unique tie-in to themselves and to each other. So some of you might not know, or some of you might know, I am an athletic trainer. An athletic trainer is a certified and licensed healthcare professional who practices in the field of sports medicine Athletic training has been recognized by the American Medical Association, the AMA, as an allied health profession since 1990. Athletic training encompasses the prevention, examination, diagnosis, treatment, and rehabilitation of emergent, acute, or chronic injuries and medical conditions. Athletic training is recognized by the American Medical Association, like I had mentioned, the AMA, Health Resources Services Administration, HRSA, and the Department of Health and Human Services, HHS, as an allied healthcare profession. To become an athletic trainer, one must have a bachelor's degree from an accredited professional level education program and then sit for and pass the Board of Certification BOC examination. By 2023, All accredited professional programs will be required to provide a master's level education. I highly support this, and I feel that the degree is also going to the doctorate level, the DAT. Each state then has its own regulatory agencies that control the practice of athletic training in their state, our licensing. Most states, 42 of them, require an athletic trainer to obtain a license in order to practice in that state. Five states, Colorado, Hawaii, Minnesota, Oregon, West Virginia, require registration. Two states, New York and South Carolina, require certification. While California has no state regulations on the practice of athletic training, this is pretty tough, they're working on it, areas of expertise of certified athletic trainers include apply protective or injury preventive devices such as tape, bandages, and braces, Recognize and evaluate injuries, provide first aid or emergency care, develop and carry out rehabilitation programs for injured athletes, plan and implement comprehensive programs to prevent injury and illness among athletes, perform administrative tasks such as keeping records and writing reports on injuries and treatment programs. Services rendered by an athletic trainer take place in a wide variety of settings and venues. This has changed dramatically in the past, say, 10 years. 
Some of the venues including actual athletic training facilities, primary schools, universities, inpatient and outpatient physical rehabilitation clinics, hospitals, physicians' offices, community centers, workplaces, and even the military. This is The military is becoming a very, very strong supporter of athletic training profession. Emergent setting for athletic training includes surgical fellowship opportunities as well. So how did athletic training all get started for me personally and also strength and conditioning? Well, I'll start from way back. I'm originally from upstate New York, a small town called Illion. It's most widely known for the production of Remington Arms rifles. My dad worked there for 33 years. And my grandfather worked there, and my uncle also worked there. I played lots of sports growing up, mainly football. Football was my passion as I was young, and I even wanted to play in college, but I'll get into that as I get deeper into my story. I also started exercising and training pretty young. I think I was maybe 12 or 13 when I first had my lifting session in the basement of one of my best friend's house. His father had a squat rack literally cemented into the basement. He was really passionate, along with a few other of his friends, on strength training. And then we caught the bug, and we started strength training. So there we were. I think we were maybe 12, 13 years old in the basement of his house and squatting, benching, curling, doing all the stuff that young teenage boys do. It was pretty great. We started lifting, and then soon after, we joined a gym in Herkimer, New York, called Cal's, Cal's Gym. It was the very first gym I ever joined, and I was one of the youngest members with my buddy. We were 14. I remember signing up, and Cal, the owner, being really proud of having us as 14-year-olds come in to lift. But he also questioned the fact that we were 14 years old. He was a little hesitant to give us memberships. We always had my buddy's father with us when we were lifting. He trained a lot too. And he had our parents sign waivers and it was all good. So, I mean, this was, I was 14 years old. And back then there weren't a whole lot of problems with suing each other. Um, Everybody was fairly honest. And I come from a small town area. So it was a really great little gym. It was in the basement of a factory. It was pretty cool. So like I had mentioned, I played football throughout my whole life, from being super young in Pop Warner all the way up through high school. Well, when I was in my sophomore year of high school, I was playing junior varsity football. I suffered an injury. It was a game. We were playing another small town, and I can remember the play exactly as it happened to this day. I was playing a defensive end, and I came across, and I was chasing down the quarterback and I saw the fullback come after me to try to cut out my legs. I planted my right foot, twisted, and felt a pop. There wasn't even a contact. I just fell to the ground, felt a pop, and then yeah, there was contact afterwards with the fullback. I felt a pop in my right knee. It was pretty painful and I was able to get up and I went back to the huddle. There was still time left. It was the second quarter. We hadn't even reached halftime. So I went back to the huddle. I was wobbling. My knee was hurting. Got the play and went back into the play again. We had a few minutes left. I'm not exactly sure of the time. In the half. And at the halftime, my knee really started to hurt. I asked one of our coaches to take a look at it. We did not have athletic trainers. So this is how this ties into my story. 
There was no one on the sideline to evaluate injuries or for liabilities or anything when we were young. So my coach was pretty smart. He just asked me to do some squats or and try to do a single leg squat just to sit down on the bench and back up. And I could not do it. I was done. That was it for the day. So what happened? I iced my knee for the rest of the game. I sat out and I sat out the majority of the next week and I had no idea what was going on with my knee. It, it was sore, but it seemed to resolve. So I went down to a local drugstore called Phase and bought a neoprene sleeve. I sat out most of the week. I needed to get back in. I practiced a few days before our next game and then I was back in the game. My knee popped again and again and again, but I just kept playing. I brushed it off for most of the rest of the season. I wasn't as good as I wanted to be, but you know, I mean, I was young and my mother was asking me to go see the doctor. She's a nurse practitioner, but I brushed it off. I said, no, I'm okay. There wasn't a whole lot of swelling in my knee. So I didn't think there was something really going on. It was kind of, it was, it, it just didn't really all kind of ring home in terms of even what I see today. And even in my past as an athletic trainer, when I see knee injuries, because I didn't mention this before, but I was playing for the rest of the season and I came back to play with a completely ruptured ACL, anterior cruciate ligament, and also a torn meniscus. I found this out a few months later as my knee became more and more unstable. So it came to be December and January. I was in phys ed. We were playing basketball. I pivoted, went up to take a shot, and my knee popped so bad I had to sit down on the bleachers and my coach called me into his office and he said my face was extremely white and I remember being sick to my stomach. The pain was so intense. So I went to the doctor. We went to an orthopedic surgeon in a neighboring town or city called Utica. Uh, she was great, Dr. Albanese. I'm not even sure if she's still practicing but she was pretty young and she was more well known for orthopedics with pediatrics, but she also did some sports medicine. So she evaluated my knee and she knew my mother very well and she made her clinical diagnosis. So definitely a torn meniscus and potentially a torn ACL. We scheduled surgery for the spring. You know, back then you didn't really do surgery immediately like they do these days. You know, it was January, so I think I had surgery in February or March or April. I had surgery and I went through the whole process. So, anyways, I ended up having a torn ACL and my meniscus repair. I didn't actually get my ACL repaired until 1997 when I was in my freshman year of college. So I continued to play for two more years on an ACL. I wore a brace and my knee would give way. I just managed it and just kept playing. It was just something I learned to live with. And I was still functional. I had to change some of my positions. I couldn't play defensive end, but I played center. I switched to center and I'm, I'm, I was a pretty small center, but I held my own. And that's ultimately where I decided that it just wasn't worth it to continue on in college. Meanwhile, over the course of these two years with this knee injury, we had actually hired or had contracted out in and acquired an athletic trainer at a high school. His name was Chris Enk. He was a great guy. I expressed interest and he totally taught me everything I wanted to know. I was a young high school guy and I wanted to know about athletic training. 
I had explored physical therapy and gone on and done some observations at physical therapy clinics, but it just wasn't exciting to me. I thought there had to be a niche for things to be evaluated on the sideline and to help people with injuries during a sporting event. Chris exposed me to all things athletic training that I discussed with you in the beginning of the show. He taught me how to tape. He showed me how to eval injuries. Yeah, I wasn't there to like be an athletic trainer, but he was educating me. He was teaching me and man, he was really passionate and it made me really excited. He used to share with me journals of athletic training. So the actual journal of athletic training with research articles and stuff. And he used to share it with me and let me take it home. Here I was a senior in high school and I showed passion and drive and interest. And he gave it, he gave me journals to go home and read and read about the, the studies that they were doing in terms of athletic injuries and, and rehabilitation and research that was happening. It was pretty great. So I started to look around at colleges. I looked at Springfield, I looked at Canisius, and I looked at Brockport, and I even looked at some schools in the South, but I ended up at Canisius College. So I attended Canisius College from 1997 to 2000. At that time, there were just a handful of accredited institutions in the state of New York, and I was lucky enough to be at one of them. It was one of the major deciding points of why I decided to go to Canisius. Plus, it just felt good. When I was on that campus, I just had a gut feeling that it was the place for me. I really enjoyed Canisius. I thrived there. I was accepted in as the third selection into my athletic training program. Back then, not everyone got into the program. I think I had about 77 people apply to get into the program, and we were all looking to try to snag uh, one of 33 spots because there's only a certain number of students that were allowed to be overseen by the faculty. And it was really popular back then, and it still is, and things have changed. But it was extremely competitive. So I was selected third. And then I just thrived throughout college. It was a great program. I had great experience. This was back in the day when I could actually travel with a team. Athletic training students were allowed to travel, and it was pretty autonomous in terms of care. I was evaluating injuries during a game. I remember I relocated a, a dislocated finger, and then you just had to have an athletic trainer on site. So I managed the conditions and then I just reported it to if I was on the road to a visiting team athletic trainer or when I got home I would just report it to the athletic trainer that was my clinical supervisor and we'd review it and we would review the cases and we'd make sure that the athlete was getting the care that they needed to manage the injury. They would be involved. The clinical supervisor are now called preceptors and they would evaluate as well. They would evaluate the injury and make sure that I was within my parameters and then they would take over and then even back then we control we did all of the rehabilitation athletic training students we had a lot of freedom and things have changed a lot since then and they've actually changed for the better so it's a lot better comprehensive evaluation and educational program and it was great back then but it's even better now it's evolved to a really great health profession education program i then was selected to go on to the university of kentucky so I was, a, I was one of uh, six graduate assistants. I had a full ride to the University of Kentucky, but I had to work for my education. So I was a certified athletic trainer. 
and I was licensed in the state of Kentucky and I had to work for my education. I were, and I also attended graduate level classes. I also did research at the University of Kentucky. I believe that I wanted to choose a university and a graduate level program that was research-based. I felt that I was passionate, that I wanted to contribute a piece of research to the profession that I was so passionate about. So I did. My research was entitled, The Relationship Between Isokinetic Quadriceps and Hamstring Strength to Lower Extremity Functional Tests. Very early on, this was early on in functional testing, and we had a force plate, and I also got very, very skilled as a, to use an isokinetic dynamometer. I mean, I was a pro with that thing back in 2000, 2003. Even when I was at Ole Miss, I used to be the isokinetic dynamometer master with everybody. Uh, they used to come to me for questions. But my research was was done, and I collected I collected research. I did lit review. And we found that, yes, quadriceps hamstring strength is definitely related to lower extremity functional tests. And let me explain that a little bit. So we found that eccentric strength has a correlation to impact that you have when you, when you hit the ground, when you did a, a step up and over test, when you did a forward lunge. And this is all recorded on a force plate. So the stronger you were eccentrically meant the less ground reacted forces or the less force you would impact the ground with. Now, this was back in, you know, like I said, 2000, 2002 that I was at the University of Kentucky. So this is pretty early on in, in some type of in, in, in some of this type of research. So but it was a great exposure. I um, defended my my thesis and I left the University of Kentucky with a master's degree. Kentucky was an awesome experience. I met great people and one of my mentors and our scholarly overseer, Dr. Carl Maticola, he essentially started that program at Kentucky. He ran it and developed it and nurtured it. And now he's a dean at UNC Greensboro. Carl Maticola also came from my same hometown area. He came from Rome, New York. He actually played football for Rome Catholic High School. Uh, he was a few years older than me, but not much. We never played against each other. But it was pretty cool to, to connect with someone from the, the Mohawk Valley uh, in Rome, New York, and to see that he had branched out. It was really encouraging, and it was really, it was really awesome for me as a, as a New Yorker, you know, going all the way down to Kentucky for my first experience of living, you know, pretty far away from home. After the University of Kentucky, I was fortunate enough to get a job in August. I graduated in the spring of May, and in August I was hired on at St. Bonaventure University. I worked there from the fall of 2002 to the spring of 2004. I was an assistant athletic trainer. I managed men's soccer, men's and women's swimming and diving, and also the baseball team. I was the director of the sports medicine for the Atlantic 10 men's and women's swimming and diving championships. I also was a preceptor. I taught down at University of Pittsburgh at Bradford. It was a pretty cool experience. I was also teaching at Bonaventure. I taught a class called Prevention and Care of Athletic Injuries. I'll never forget my time at St. Bonaventure. We had a small staff 
and we had great athletes. Everyone was such a great human. They were so good to each other and everyone cared for one another. And it was just, it was a really cool environment. While I was at Bonaventure, this is also where I started to develop a great relationship with the strength and conditioning coach. Coach Darren Fisk there, he is still there, is one of the best strength coaches I've ever worked with. He is just top-notch, so knowledgeable, and he used to listen. And I think it was because I was so passionate about listening to him. He had so much knowledge to share, and I was just like a sponge. I love strength conditioning, and I loved athletic training. So when I wasn't in the athletic training room, I was in the strength conditioning area training and working, and I would even participate in challenges with the baseball team. They used to have a strongman challenge, and I would participate with the team. I would even lift with them when they were training, and you know, it was easy because the athletic training room was just right down the hallway, so if the whole team was in this, the strength conditioning area, I could be in there training and working out and doing things with the team. And then if an injury came up, we could just step out and I would go manage the, the condition. But nothing ever happened. Darren Fisk was an awesome coach. The athletes were always well-trained and well-guided and well-taught. And we had a great experience. Strength training facilitated the performance of all of his teams. And he's won championships. That, that year with the baseball team, we won an Atlantic 10 championship. The basketball team has won many championships. And the, the Atlantic 10 swimming and diving there is top-notch. We won Atlantic 10 championships as well. So it was a well-oiled team. It was great. It was small. It was laid back. And it was just a perfect setting in western New York. Soon after, I was hired down at the University of Mississippi, otherwise known as Ole Miss. My title was assistant athletic trainer, but I was the head athletic trainer for the baseball team. I managed all their care. I met great people. I had lots of guys go on to the major leagues. And I also worked with really great coaches. Coach Bianco is still there. He's a top-notch individual. And this is how I learned also to foster relationship with coaches. He's a championship coach. He used to question everything I would do. And sometimes it would drive me nuts, but I would understand why he's questioning me. He wanted to understand the why of why I was doing everything. It was great. It was it was a really great experience. I spent a few years with baseball, and then I was promoted up. I was senior athletic trainer with the football team. My boss, Tim Mullins, was a great mentor. He taught me so many things related to working with Division I football, even with baseball, and a lot of soft skills of just working with coaches, administrators, and even chancellors. We used to have the chancellor in the athletic training room all the time. And Tim was really great at fostering relationships in the in the community as well. I'll never forget, he wanted me to take over the care for the chief of police for Oxford, Mississippi. It was an awesome experience. But anyways, let me take it back to my experiences with the football team. We had another assistant, Larandis Coleman, he's still there. He's now the senior athletic trainer with the Ole Miss football team. And we had tons of fun. We did all the rehab. We were out at practices, Tim, Larandis, and I. We traveled. 
We also had athletic training students. They it wasn't a program, so they were hired with scholarships and basically taught. We certified them in first aid, management of acute injuries, and CPR. And they would help us at practices, and they would help with um, icing the guys down, watering, and just managing some acute injuries until we could get there. And um, they were the lifeblood of helping us out as well. So I spent a couple of years uh, working with Ole Miss football. And while I was working there, I had a unique opportunity to develop a relationship at Andrews Sports Medicine over in Birmingham, Alabama. At that time, I was in a relationship with a woman, and she lived in Birmingham. And I was able to develop a relationship with um, Andrews Sports Medicine. So I got to know Andrews Sports Medicine and some of the colleagues over there in another place called Champion Sports Medicine for a little bit, and some of the athletic trainers And then they expressed an interest in having me come over and work there. So I decided to step away from the Division I college football scene. At the time, I was the youngest senior athletic trainer in the SEC. I thought I was going to be just grooming myself and learning and grinding to eventually become a head athletic trainer with a football team. In the university setting, preferably the SEC, the Southeastern Conference, but things were changing. I had an opportunity in front of me and, you know, I was young and I thought, why not go work with one of the best surgeons in the world, Dr. James Andrews, in his practice? What do I have to lose? I'm the type of person that's always looking at the opportunities that are placed in front of me that it's never a negative or backward move for anything I've done in my career. It's always something that I explore the opportunities that are actually placed in front of me to help further my career, to get better at what I do, and to network and learn from more people. So I went over, I moved to Birmingham, Alabama. I went over, I was formerly hired by Champion Sports Medicine. I worked in the orthopedic pods, as they call them, And I specifically was working with Dr. Lyle Kane. It was an absolutely wonderful experience. Dr. Lyle Kane is the head orthopedic and surgeon for the University of Alabama. And he's absolutely a scholar and a gentleman. He taught me so many things in the one short year that I worked with him in his practice. He also had top-notch people working with him from the fellows to his administrative assistants, and to his office managers. They were just awesome. They were such great people. And we had a lot of fun in the actual pod when I was there um, from day to day. So I also outreached to a local high school. So I would finish my day in the morning. And if I needed to go out to the high school, I would drive about 40 minutes out to Oak Grove High School. It was a pretty cool opportunity. I enjoyed it. I learned things, I got to know more people, and I was exposed to rural Alabama. And you know what? I enjoyed the opportunity. But when things came to an end, I had spent a year there. And by the end of that year, just personally, I was not happy with where I was at. I wasn't happy with living in Birmingham, Alabama. I hadn't met a whole lot of people. I did enjoy the work. It was good. They had actually wanted me to um, move into one of the prominent high schools and they were going to give me, they're going to sponsor me for a special teaching certificate that they do in Alabama. And then they, they have you 
obtain your teacher certificate, you teach health, and then you're also hired by the school as an athletic trainer. And these positions pay very, very well in Birmingham, Alabama. Some of the high school athletic trainers there, the head high school athletic trainers there, can work, can make over $100,000 a year. It's a very, very well-paying position and really good position. Um, but I had decided that I wanted to move on. And while I was making the decision to move on, I was lucky enough to connect back with someone by the name of Mark Larson. Mark Larson uh, is a well-known athletic trainer, and he's now the director of athletic training services at Boston University. Uh, at the time that I was living in Alabama, he had moved down to South Carolina. And I'll also mention that Mark is also a Canisius College alumni, so he did his master's degree there. So he was well aware of, uh, of me, and we had also we had met at an alumni function uh, while I was working at St. Bonaventure. So we had created that tie and that connection. Well, Mark was presented with an opportunity to come back to Boston University from the University of South Carolina and take the position of Director of Athletic Training Services. He was about to do something that not many schools, I don't think any other schools, had done back in 2007, 2008. I'll never forget our phone calls as I was living in Alabama and Mark would be bar driving back up to Boston from South Carolina. He would tell me about the program and, and the services that he was going to develop at Boston University. Boston University was going through a dramatic change. Mark was hired on to come and take over the program of athletic training services. Boston University had made the decision to take athletic training services out of athletics and place it in student health services. What this means is, is that all the athletic trainers and the director of athletic training services would be housed in student health services as a separate service. This also meant that we would actually have a physician, Dr. Matt Petchy, who now is in California. He doesn't work for BU anymore. Dr. Douglas Camo is the physician that oversees the program and the athletic training services now at Boston University. But this means that we would have a physician that would be overseeing all of the decisions made in athletic training services by the athletic trainers, all the rehabilitation, all the healthcare services that were provided to the athletes at Boston University now had a physician that was overseeing all the athletic trainers making the medical decisions. This is called a medical model. This is a more appropriate model, whereas a lot of models that take place even right now on this day in the college university setting, when they're under the traditional athletics model, you have an athletic director that is overseeing the head athletic trainer or the director of athletic training services and all of the athletic trainers. So you have an athletic director that is overseeing medical professionals that is not qualified to oversee those professionals. They don't have the background. They don't have the education. This is one of the problems with the collegiate setting, and it's slowly but surely changing, but it's not changing fast enough. So Mark would have conversations with me about what he envisioned for Boston University. I was all for it. 
I was gung-ho about this new model that they were creating. Soon after, in July, I was hired at Boston University. I was Mark's first hire, and I'm proud to be his first hire. And we worked so hard with establishing the community there. I was hired as a senior athletic trainer. They had already athletic trainers that were on staff. Larry Venice and Jen Chadburn are the two other head athletic trainers that drove the boat. And we had such awesome support. It was a great environment. It was completely autonomous from any coach's decisions. And we had the drive and the desire and now they're still continuing to do great things. I still communicate with Boston University. I have a great relationship with them, and it was a wonderful experience working with everybody there. So while I was working at Boston University, and even before Boston University, I was exposed to kettlebells, and I soon fostered a knowledge base and a passion to work with this unique little weight, and now they're not little weights. There's extremely large kettlebells. Back then, I didn't know there were such size kettlebells. But while I was working at BU, I developed a passion for movement and and soft tissue work and also working with kettlebells and strength conditioning, again, that I was just continuing to foster since I was at St. Bonaventure. But now I had discovered this, this interesting tool to help rehabilitate and also bridge the gap from rehabilitation to strength conditioning. And that was a pretty new thing in 2007, 2008 to be doing. Uh, It was always thought of that athletic training services and strength conditioning were completely separate entities when every institution that I was at from St. Bonaventure to Ole Miss and now at Boston University I always saw them as merged departments. We needed to be completely on the same page, teaching the same things and understanding the the ultimate goal of where the injured athlete or not injured athlete needed to be in terms of performance. So I thought this tool, which I still believe to this day, was extremely vital in terms of bridging the gap from injury to rehabilitation and then developing advanced strength conditioning to bridge the gap to get them back onto the playing field or court. So this passion of working and learning about kettlebells fostered into a relationship where I decided to step away from Boston University. And at this time, I had met my wife, Artemis Scantilides, and we had started a facility called Iron Body Studios. It was a really unique studio Um, We started out subletting from a facility, and then we moved into a a 4,500-square-foot facility. And then we eventually ended in a 500-square-foot facility, which was a lot easier to manage. And we still had the same amount of people coming in, and it was just a lot. It was was a little bit more fun to manage. So uh, we managed Iron Body Studios together. We were best of Boston. We also were in men's health uh, as a top 10. In 2016, we were ranked as one of the top 10 uh, private training studios in America, which was pretty cool. We had developed a really strong reputation. Uh, My wife had started her I'm Not Afraid to Lift workshop, and we just had a really strong reputation of being great 
coaches and rehabilitation providers in the private setting in the city of Boston. At that time, I I was doing cash-based rehabilitation, so essentially taking people that were uh, finished with rehabilitation, and then they would come and see me, and they would get on a strength program, and we would just help correct their movements, and then we would solidify those movements with with kettlebells, and then they would eventually stay with us with memberships, um, with the small group trainings or the group trainings or even personal trainings, the private sessions that we would offer. So we ran Iron Body Studios for about five years, and we just got really tired of owning a brick and mortar business. There's a lot of other things in terms of, you know, roof leaks, AC. Uh, units breaking down, um, snow removal. Uh, we had snow removal in the upwards of $3,500 back in the day when, when we had that a, a crazy amount of snow uh, in Boston back in 2015. So following Iron Body Studios, I had also developed an interest in terms of getting back into a traditional clinical setting. And a really unique opportunity came up, and it was with Cirque du Soleil, but it was in Las Vegas. And when I learned about it, I kind of sat on it for a couple of days, and Artemis was away at a workshop. When she got home, I asked her, what would you think about moving to Las Vegas? And she said, absolutely. And so we talked about the Cirque du Soleil position, and I interviewed, and I started the interview process in August. And I was officially hired on in October, and I started in November of 2016. So now I was a head therapist with Cirque du Soleil. I managed the show Zumanity at New York, New York, here in Las Vegas. I did that for about three years. It was a pretty eye-opening experience. Um, it was it was a really great opportunity. I really dialed in my my emergency skills as an athletic trainer, and then just also learn the corporate world of being in athletic training services, or as they called performance medicine. I met a lot of great artists, and I learned a lot of things. The number one thing I learned is that it just wasn't the place for me as an athletic trainer. You either, I feel like from working with that company, you're either 100% like love it, or you have a hard time working for the company. And my philosophies were just a little bit different in terms of rehabilitation and strength conditioning and management of the injuries. It was tough because I had come from environments that where athletic training and, and strength conditioning were merged together and we worked as a team in terms of just elevating performance and reducing risk of injuries. Um, and it didn't always feel like that was happening with that co- with the company. So uh, I had a great opportunity, though. You know, I don't want to talk all negative things or say negative, but it was a great opportunity in terms of I was the chair of the injury risk reduction group, and we had a team of of eight or nine therapists and athletic trainers that were on the team, and we developed a profiling system. Uh, when artists would come in and we would we examined the literature for about a year and then we developed a profiling system uh, to collect data and profile the artists to try to give them information 
Two, reduce, reduce the chances and risk of injuries that could take them out of the show and also take them it would take them out of the show but it would also not allow them to be making the most money that they wanted to so it was a really cool environment it was a cool thing to to develop uh and i know they're still using it to this day and they're still collecting data and one of the interesting thing is is there's no data there's no information about performance performers out there it's all athletes and they are athletes but they're performers. It's it's a unique type of athlete. And so it'll be interesting to see what the data shows as they continue to collect information on the artists and progress that information. All right. So I spent three years with Cirque du Soleil. And then this past August of 2019, I left Cirque du Soleil and went into business ventures with my wife. Artemis Scantilides. We have Empower You Online Coaching, which she had started back in April of 2019. And then a lot of you guys might not know this, but we're kind of, my wife is a really kind of OG with online training. And also I am not as much as her. She's got way more experience with online training than I do. So she had continued to run what we had called Iron Body Training Systems. We changed Iron Body Studios into Iron Body Training Systems and continue to run online training services and nutritional services and continued to be very, very successful at that and developed a six-figure business with the Iron Body Training Systems. In August, we decided to rename and rebrand the company to Empower You Online Coaching. And we had spent so much time uh, coaching and writing strength conditioning and rehabilitation and nutritional programs. We decided to rebrand and, and, and kind of pivot and switch our business. And we went more in the direction of online business coaching. So coaching healthcare professionals and also strength coaches and personal trainers on developing online business and even brick and mortar businesses. And so this is where we're at now. And things are going very well. And as an athletic trainer, it's been really cool to kind of see my profession evolve from, you know, a graduate assistant to a young professional to a clinical specialist and then moving on now to a leadership position and leading individuals down the path to developing six-figure online businesses. And that's where we're at now. So it's pretty cool. So as an athletic trainer, I'm more in the leadership stage now as I've developed through my stages. But I wouldn't say that I'm completely um, all leadership. I get calls and uh, I talk with departmental heads all the time about potential positions that they have open. Uh, I do enjoy clinical aspect and treating and, and covering sporting events and, and helping athletes. Uh, I do still have a portion of my business and our business here where I do see people in person at a local facility. And a lot of times I help individuals that have been struggling in therapy for months and months and months and, and they just continue to have 
poor results, they come spend time with me one-on-one for about an hour and a half or so. And we find that at the end of the session that their pain has gone down significantly, but they've also learned some really great techniques in terms of positioning their body when they're doing certain activities that puts the joints in a better position to absorb load and also express power and strength and everything, just really, really giving them strong coaching techniques to carry over into whatever they might be doing in life or in their sport. So to kind of wrap things up for this podcast, I know it's just been, you know, telling you my story. I know I didn't get to my injuries. I have a full injury story to tell you. I gave you a little bit about it, about my right ACL, but I also have a left shoulder problem that I managed for most of my life. And I also uh, managed uh, lumbar disc herniations and have no problems with that whatsoever. And then most recently managed um, some hormone imbalances and some cortisol issues as well. So going from orthopedic um, to to internal medicine and and, and hormone issues, uh, and and that's what we do in terms of I can help individuals with that as well, which is a pretty cool as an athletic trainer. I've kind of bridged the gap into so many different platforms of helping and empowering people. I'm going to go ahead and wrap things up for today. I've kind of walked you through more of my professional uh, career. I can definitely come back in the future with more about all of the injuries that I've suffered and recovered from in the future. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Empower You Radio Show. And guys, it's Friday. So take the time as we finish up this crazy pandemic with the COVID-19. Enjoy this weekend and just give thanks that we're approaching the end and we're all going to be moving into hopefully some new normalcy. Thanks guys. Have an awesome weekend and I'll see you back on Monday for Mindset Monday. You've been listening to the Empower You Radio Show with Eric Gann. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on our website, EmpowerYouOnlineCoaching.com, on Facebook at EmpowerYouOnlineCoaching. Finally, go follow us on our Instagram account at EmpowerYou underscore radio show.